This message was preached on July 11, 2021 at Faith Reformed Baptist Church in Titusville, Florida. Morning everyone, glad to be here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we start. Let's uh, ask the Lord for his blessing on the Study hour, dear Father, we come before you, Lord, and we ask that you be with us, Lord, as we continue studying your different subjects that have to do with the doctrine that we believe, what we call systematic theology, as we go through the confession of faith this morning. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so the last doctrine that we studied was the doctrine of perseverance. Perseverance, uh, the perseverance of the saints. Now this week then we start a new chapter, chapter 18, the Confession. And this chapter is about assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation. And there is, of course a logical connection between these two doctrines um, and also a logical sequence the way they are presented in the confession. We have assurance of salvation because we persevere. That's uh, <clears throat> something that we want to see. Uh, if we don't persevere, then we cannot have assurance of salvation, what we have is just the uh, carnal confidence that is false. Also, the, uh, this doctrine of assurance of salvation is a doctrine that is exclusively um, Protestant. When I say Protestant, I'm including all evangelicals there, um, because the, uh, the Roman Catholic, they strongly reject the idea of assurance of salvation uh, that was part of the, uh, the movement of the, the counter-reformation and in the Council of Trent, they made it an official doctrine that um, there is no such thing as assurance of salvation. They say, well, yes, I have been saved, but I am being saved and I will be saved. And nobody can say... In this life, yes, I know that I'm saved. That's not part of the Roman Catholic doctrine. Nobody can have that assurance in this life. Why? Because, well, you may fall from the state of grace. <clears throat> That's what they say. And they say, well, maybe if you have received a special revelation from God, which is really not the case for the majority of believers. So if one can fall from grace, then it is impossible to have assurance, they say so. But the same year that the Council of Trent ended, uh, in 1563, uh, a catechism came out, the Catechism of Heidelberg. Catechism of Heidelberg. And the very first question in the Catechism of Heidelberg has to do with assurance of salvation. So they made it a point to have this. this is going to be your first question 
assurance of salvation, and it goes like this. What is thy only comfort in life and in death? This is the Catechism of Heidelberg. And the answer is that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins, and redeemed me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me, that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Yes, that all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his, his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life, and makes me heartily, willingly, and readily henceforth, and ready henceforth to live unto him. So, that's the... Uh, Catechism of Heidelberg. <clears throat> and that is a very important doctrine for us. So, even when we preach the gospel, we do it on what? On the basis of assurance of salvation. Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to have that assurance in your heart? Well, you have to trust Jesus. <clears throat> and uh, we rejoice in that assurance. So, our confession has four paragraphs regarding the doctrine of assurance of salvation, and we are going to try to uh, cover two of those paragraphs this morning. The first paragraph uh, is about the possibility of assurance. Then the second one is the basis or the foundation of that assurance. The third one is keeping your assurance or maintaining your assurance. And the fourth one is the renewal of that assurance of salvation. So the question for this morning is how can we distinguish between a real assurance of salvation and a false carnal presumption? And the answer, the short answer to that is false believers do not show a genuine interest in Christ himself. But the child of God wants not only to be saved, but to grow in love and knowledge of his Savior. And that's what we are going to develop now. As we go through the two, two um, chapters, the two paragraphs in chapter 18. So, this is a question that all believers have asked themselves at least once. Do I know? How can I be completely sure that I belong to the number of the elect? That I am truly saved? That I, How can I have that assurance? Because the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 7 that many will come to hear him on that day on the last day and he will tell them depart from me I never knew you so how can I have that assurance you know they went to the last day thinking that they were Christians and they were not they were not temporary believers who apostatized from the faith and denied Christ during this life no they were deceived their whole lives they professed <clears throat> to be Christians their whole life, but they were not. So can I truly have that assurance of salvation? How do I know that I don't belong in that same category of false believers? Another way to, to present the question is, what is the difference between those that are really saved and those who are not, but only have this false carnal assurance <clears throat> of salvation. Well, let's go to the first paragraph 
in the confession. Then. Paragraph one. <clears throat> Although temporary believers and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and state of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish, yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, <clears throat> endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. So, the confession starts uh, in a way that I call very interesting way, um, saying that, yes, it is possible to be deceived. That's a possibility. Thousands of false Christians, you know, are around there. They are self-deceived. So what they do then is they give us three distinctions between real assurance that rests on the authenticity of salvation in a carnal presumption that thinks that, um, you know, I have found grace in God when in reality I don't have any. Three distinctions. Three, uh, yeah, three distinctions. The first distinction is faith. Faith. They say, Yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus, you know, in opposition to those who have a false carnal assurance, there are those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus, meaning the others don't truly believe in the Lord Jesus. So if you go to Matthew chapter 7 and you analyze the faith that those false believers had, you will notice that their faith was what? The, no, the faith was on the things that they did, not on Christ. They say, Jesus says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied, right? Things that we did in your name. And in your name we have cast out devils. And in your name we have done many wonderful works. What's missing there? They never say, Lord, we, we truly believed in you. We put our confidence in you, in your name, in your work, in your sacrifice. No, it's all what, what they did. Everything is what they did. They wanted to enter the kingdom of heaven by their own righteousness, which is by the law, not by the law of Moses, but by the, their own law that they created for themselves. Not by the righteousness of Christ, which is by faith. And the, uh, you know how the Apostle Paul, he makes that distinction between the righteousness, my own righteousness, and the righteousness of Christ. Very easy to be uh, 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 deceived by that, you know, to think that my own righteousness is what God requires. And he says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, he says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. It can be very easy to be self-deceived. So this is the first distinction between true faith and false faith. 
the object of that faith. The faith that looks in the mirror to find assurance on my own works, my own behavior, my own righteousness. That faith is false. And I'm not saying that we should never do self-examination. Yes, we should. But not to, to find my assurance in those things. <clears throat> and then there, on the other hand, there's the faith that is firmly founded on the work of Jesus Christ. Then comes the second distinction, which is love. Loving Jesus. They say, yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity. Love him in sincerity. So, what's the characteristic of the false believer? Well, they want to be saved, but they never develop a true relationship with Jesus based on love. They embrace the, this Christian religion thing to be saved. And of course, true believers also want to be saved. But here's the difference that... Uh, for the false believer, Jesus is a means to be saved. For the true believer, the end is Jesus. And salvation is just a means to that end. Right? In Second Corinthians it says, and that he died for all, Second Corinthians 5.15, that they which live should not from that one, now on live to themselves, but to him which died for them and rose again. A true Christian lives for Jesus. The false believer sees Jesus as a tool, as a means to an end. For the true believer, the end is Jesus, and their salvation is the means to that end. Like we read in, in Psalm 27. Psalm 27, verse 4, this is what David says. One thing I have desired of the Lord. Only one thing. Should be really important. And what's that? And he says then, and that I will seek after. I want one thing and I'm going to seek after that. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To do what? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Amazing. So that's the second distinction. First one, a true believer believes in Jesus Number two, a true believer loves Jesus. The third distinction is obedience. Obedience, they say, and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him. They believe in Jesus, they love Jesus, and they try their best, the, hard, the hardest that they can, to walk in good conscience before him. What did the Lord Jesus tell those people? false believers in Matthew 7. He said, Depart from me, you who are what? Workers of iniquity. And if you go, you know, to your concordance, the Greek word is, you know, anomia. No law. They did not want to obey the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had their own righteousness. That they were willing to do all the time. But they were not willing to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. The Lord Jesus says, And why do you call me Lord? And then don't do what I say. Right? That's a contradiction. You call Jesus Lord, and then 
you don't act as if he is your Lord. You don't obey his, his will. So their faith, the faith of those false believers, was only on the things that they did, but they did not live their lives to do what Christ commands. The true believer obeys Jesus. Their obedience is not perfect, but there is always that sincere effort to get better every day, to obey with a universal obedience. And what I mean by universal is, you know, a true believer does not pick and choose. No, everything that Jesus commands, I am going to obey. And if I fall, I am going to get up and continue. And then the uh, confession says, Such then does those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, those and only those may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. So that's the first paragraph. Now let's go to the second one, the foundation, the basis of that um, assurance. In the second paragraph says, this certainly is not a bare conjectural and probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope but an infallible assurance of faith founded on the blood and righteousness of Christ revealed in the gospel and also upon the inward evidence of those graces of the spirit upon which promises are made and on the testimony of the spirit of adoption witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God and as a fruit thereof, keeping the heart both humble and holy. Then, of course, you know, the Bible says that the hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. Job chapter 8, verse uh, 13 we read the same idea, so are the paths of those that forget God and the hypocrite's hope shall perish. The hope of the believer uh, will not perish. Romans 5, 5, we read, hope does not put us to shame. So the, the hope of the believer, the assurance of the believer does not rest on a void, on, on you know, on an empty space. It, it's, it has a solid ground. It has a solid foundation. It's not simply a good desire or the fruit of our imagination. It is, they say, the authors of the confession say, is an infallible assurance, an infallible assurance of faith. Why is this assurance infallible? What makes it certain? What makes it infallible? Well, that's, that's what the paragraph is about. And they, again, we have this uh, uh, three, three parts. It's like a tripod. Assurance of salvation is like a tripod, right? You have a tripod and, you know, it has to stand on all three legs. Because, you know, if you take one off, it falls. So the first one is <clears throat> the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. They say it is an infallible assurance of faith founded on the blood and righteousness of Christ revealing the gospel. So it is based on something concrete. 
on something that Jesus did. Not on my imagination, not 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 on my you know my good intentions. No, no, no. I have an assurance that Jesus actually did something. It's more than just a feeling. <clears throat> a person who follows another religion, they may have a a certain assurance of salvation, but that assurance of salvation will always be carnal because why? It is not faith. Uh, it is not founded, it is not based on something objective because other religions, they don't have a savior. They want to get saved by their own works. But we have a savior who did something. We have a true savior who did something that assures our salvation. He obeyed God perfectly his whole life and then he offered his life as a sacrifice on the cross and that sacrifice was accepted by the Father and he says in Hebrews 7.22 that he was made a surety of a better testament he is our guarantor so we Christians we can rest assured not on the fact that we have faith we must have faith but our assurance is on the fact that we have an accomplished or that Jesus accomplished and fulfilled everything that was necessary to purchase our salvation. The Roman Catholics say, I am being saved. Well, yes, but we say no. We are saved because Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. And I can rest assured on that. I can have assurance of that. There's nothing to be added to that. There's nothing that I can add to what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Our redemption was accomplished once and for all. We, we are being justified. But no, we're not being justified. We're being sanctified. But our justification takes place in an instant. Right? Because it is based on that solid rock. The work of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, it says, Therefore, by one offering, he has perfected forever them, them that are sanctified. So, see, those two, two things are there. He has made perfect forever those who, what? who are being sanctified. Not who are being saved, but who are being sanctified. So, that's the first leg of the tripod. Then comes the second one, the accomplished redemption uh, that we just spoke about brings what? Brings a new life. And that becomes the second foundation. The new life. The uh, confession says, and also upon the inward evidence of those graces of the Spirit unto which promises are made. So, what do they mean by the inward evidence of those graces? Well, it means that if you truly believe, there are going to be consequences to that. Your life is going to change. Your behavior is going to change. What you believe is going to change. What you say is going to change. Right? Unbelievers are what? Are slaves to sin. They are servants. They are in bondage to sin. But believers are servants of righteousness. We still have the old nature. But to that old nature, a new nature is added. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, it doesn't matter who you are, 
You may be just a, a little baby in the faith. If any man is in Christ, he says, he is a new creature. And all things are passed away. All things, the things that belong to the past, they are all passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Life. A renewed life. And he says that the promises are made to those who live this way. The promises of salvation are made to those who show those graces in this life. And it doesn't mean that you have to do something in exchange for those promises. No, it is the other way around. Like when you would read in, in Daniel chapter 12 verse uh, 3. It says, And they that be wise shall shine in the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn to... Uh, that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. You read that and it seems, well, I do this and I'm going to receive that. No, it's the other way around. The promises are made to those who show those things as an evidence of their renewed life, their new life. Matthew 5, for example, the, uh, the uh, Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And somebody reading that may think, well, I have to do all those things to get saved. No, those things are the characteristics of those who are saved. And the promises are made to those in, in whom those things are being displayed in their lives. There is no exchange. You know, I do this and then I'm going to get this. No. We don't receive salvation as a payment. We don't receive salvation as a, an exchange. But the righteousness of Christ and His work for us on our behalf will produce in us a sanctification, a newness of life. And the promises are made to those then who display those graces in their lives. Then comes the, th the third leg of the tripod. The third foundation is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. So how can we have that assurance? What is it based on? It is based, number one, they say, on the work of Jesus Christ, on the blood of Jesus Christ, His sacrifice. <laughs> number two, on the evidences of a new life. The evidence is that you have been uh, regenerated. And number three, on the testimony of the Holy Spirit in your life. The testimony of the Holy Spirit in your life, they say. And on the testimony of the spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God, and as a fruit thereof, keeping their hearts both humble and holy. And of course, that comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, where it says, You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Holy Spirit of God. So this testimony of the Holy Spirit is not something that happens in a particular moment in life. It is a continual, gradual, constant experience. Notice that the, uh, this uh, testimony of the Holy Spirit produces a drastic change. Now we see God as our Father. Before God was distant, uh, 
which is the case of the you know the pagan religions. Like when the Lord Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, don't do what? Don't use all these vain repetitions like the pagans. Why? Why do they do that? Because they see God as, as a distant God. They see God as somebody whom they have to come and twist his arm. Or like the, the, in the Roman Catholic, and you know, I remember back in the day when I was, uh, uh, you know, in the Dominican Republic, a lot of people, you know, if you ask them, why do you pray to the saints? Why do you pray to the Virgin? Why don't you go, you know, to God? It's because they imagine that God is distant, that God is busy, that He doesn't have time for you. So, well, I'm going, then I'm, I'm going to go through Mary. <clears throat> I'm going to go through through the saints to God. No, we see God now as a father, a father that that is close, that is paying attention to you, that loves you. That's what the testimony of the Holy Spirit does in your life. <clears throat> so finally, they finish with a little commentary. The, the last phrase in the paragraph says that the fruit of that assurance is that it keeps the heart both humble and holy. Why do they say that? Well, because of the accusation uh, well, if you believe in this assurance of salvation, what's going to happen is that, you know, you're going to say, well, since I'm, I am saved, I am going to live however I want to. And, uh, uh, and I'm going to be, you know, proud and I'm going to be boastful because, you know, I, am, I know for sure that I'm saved. And they say, no, it's the other way around. It keeps the heart humble. It keeps the heart holy. Has the other uh, effect. So I'm going to close with First uh, John chapter three verses one to three, which is precisely about this. He says, "Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us, knows us not, because it knew Him not." Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that has his, this hope in Him purifies himself, even as He is pure. So, he's saying, we are the sons of God. We have that assurance. We know that. We know it for sure. And every person who has this hope purifies himself that's what's going to happen if you have this assurance you are going to live your life holiness amen any questions or comments no let's go to the lord in prayer father we thank you lord we can have this assurance of salvation that is something that we can certainly have in this life and we thank you for the work of the lord jesus that made it possible and we pray these things in his name. Amen.